It's a bonus app. Join Fran, me Babs, and special guest Ben Hampson for the best of Sussex. Ben Hampson is a music producer and the mastermind behind the AA Sessions compilations, and we got to chat to him about five of his favourite Sussex bands as he's based in the region. Ben was interesting, lovely, let us ask a bunch of geeky music questions, and we had a big discussion around, among other things, B-sides, the state of rock and roll, and why music around Brighton is so damn good. I hope you enjoy this, and see you all at the end. Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> was it over underrated? Underrated. Sous-évalué. Over-underrated. Welcome to another Over-Underrated with Babs and Fran. How are we today, Fran? We are doing good. Um, as a football fan, I'm doing very good because of last night, England beat Germany in a game of football for the first time in a billion years so that's all good for me <laughs> how are you doing Babs? I'm good because I watched that particular football game with an English man who was claiming to be neutral but then was very emotional each time a goal was scored um it was a very nice atmosphere though we we, we watched it in a bar in a square and most bars I think everyone was pro England but there was one bar with German fans who were very sad uh every time they scored a goal so it was an interesting atmosphere here in Brussels last night uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the Belgium game on Friday, but let's see. But this is not the geographies we're talking about today because we have a special guest joining us from the Sussex region, producer Ben Hampson. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So I have a little bio for you, Ben, if you allow me to take you through it so we can introduce you to our listeners. So Ben is a, according to his social media, producer slash mixer slash engineer slash arranger. He's worked with lots of different artists, including Blood Red Shoes, Block Party, Noel Gallagher, Nadine Shaw on her Mercury-nominated album, Holiday Destination. He's built the Agricultural Audio Studio in Lewis, Sussex, with another producer, Ben, Ben Hillier. He teaches music production at the BIM Institute in Brighton, and he's helmed the collaboration project AA Sessions, which brings together artists from the, from the region to collaborate on a compilation album. So welcome, Ben. Was that accurate? <laughs> uh, ish, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what we need to cut out. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's that sounds about right. Perfect. <laughs> so Ben, we are big fans of AA sessions, or at least I am a big fan. Fran, I, I don't, I don't know how you feel about it. I am speaking on your behalf, but I'm, I'm going to presume you like it. <laughs> I'm new to the to the world. The AA sessions. So yeah, I I discovered the first AA sessions volume back in 2019 when it came out because I'm a big Blood Red Shoes fan and they. They promoted it a lot. And yeah, it's a really interesting concept of bands come together to uh, to record a song. If I understood correctly, it's in one day, right, Ben? They they do it on the day and you produce it soon after. Yeah, and the first the first round, which is what you're talking about, we did in sort of a week. So we did all this, everything in a week. So the idea, I mean, there's no strict idea that it's a day, but generally that works out about right yeah, mm-hmm. to, to get everything done. And, uh, I think after that it gets a bit um, boring. <laughs> no one's got any more time to give it, and then it kind of defeats the point. So, um, yeah, roughly a day. Yeah, roughly a day. But for the for the second one, it's a bit of a different approach, if I understood correctly, right? Because you're recording the album as the year goes on, and you're releasing a song every month in 2021. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, sort of. 
but um, we've got the the vinyl coming out for Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, but the vinyl leader time is about five months at the moment. Oh, or five months. So oh. we actually have to finish it by the end of July. Um, oh, okay. Exclusive. <laughs> yeah, so it will be an exciting month next month. So regarding like COVID times, how has that affected the uh, recording sessions? Um, well, we started, so, so originally when we did this, it was just like, let's all get together. We did it um, a couple of summers ago. And then we planned to do it next summer and didn't. And then Steve, who, Steve Ansel from Dudridge, who runs Jazz Life, he sort of said in, in sort of end of December, oh, should we, should we try and do it every month for a year? Because uh, we can't all get in the studio for an extensive period of time. Um, but maybe that'd be a fun kind of project for all, all of our mental health. Mm. So the first one was thrown together in complete chaos because no one actually saw each other who did it. It was done in about, well, I think Steve actually took control of some of that one and then passed it on to me to finish in the last couple of days. Um, and a similar vibe with the second one because we were in full lockdown and we just couldn't mm. really do it. And then after that, we've, uh, being able to kind of get together and largely do it sort of, yeah, each month for a day or two. So we did a batch, I think it was in March, for say two or three days. So we got two or three done and then um, and then same again a couple of months later, really. Um, which is quite fun. Uh, it's a little bit stressful, but it's, it's quite a nice idea, the idea. I've grown quite accustomed to, yeah, just having to put together a song each month completely separate to everything else that everyone's doing. Um, it's quite a nice idea. Are these songs that the bands have had for a while or do they write a song to be written at the studio? Or oh no, it's completely on the hoof. That's, oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sometimes you don't know what's going to, well, most of the time you don't know what's going to happen. And I think during that first, the first time we did it, when it was a week of it, um, we knew every, or I kind of knew everyone who came. And so I knew how they worked and I kind of thought it might, you know, you kind of got a, a feeling of how it might come together. And that was fine. Whereas this one and going forward, it'll be people that perhaps we know less well or haven't worked with. So you're not entirely sure what the dynamic is gonna mm. be. You've got to kind of feel it out pretty quickly and you don't really have much time to sort of mess around with. Um, and you kind of have to get everyone on the, on the page of kind of nothing's really precious. Have you had a situation when a band has thought, no, I want to, I want to go again, I want to go again, there's, and there's been no time, I don't want to make any big changes or anything? Or... Oh, because it's, um, it's usually done with one member of a band and from several bands, they don't tend to come as a band package. And I think what is quite liberating or what people have said to me is quite liberating is that they don't have to conform to being in their brand of their band. Mm. You know, they don't have to be, you know, Tiger Cub don't have to be Tiger Cub or Bloodwood Shoes don't, they can just kind of just go with it. And everyone so far has just totally got the idea and kind of enjoyed it, I think. So, um, so yeah, no, yeah, there is no chance. There's no time to redo anything. 
as naive as in this in AI sessions? Uh, not yet, no. <laughs> okay, not yet. You know, someone might not want to put their name on something. And oh, okay. You know, who knows? But that's about as as close as we can get to. Um, uh, I don't know choice. <laughs> so, was AA sessions something that you came up with? Was it a kind of a, a thing from talking about talking to Brighton bands about collaborating? How how did it come about? I mean, I didn't really come up with it in the sense that I guess it's very loosely modelled on the idea of the whole desert session thing. Yeah, uh, the stuff that Josh Hom does out in Joshua Tree. So it's that kind of vibe. Really, I just always really liked it and always sort of in the past that had kind of done similar things with friends when I was younger and was in a position I'd got this live room in the studio and uh, and it's on a farm there's no one there to disturb us and I was like okay well let's just make it happen um, and it's kind of a nice creative outlet as well I think for, for me personally because I don't just have to do what I'm you know, I don't have to follow the recipe, you know, I can play a bit and I can get involved with some of the other stuff. And um, it's kind of a little bit more exciting sometimes because you are operating on a kind of intuitive level because you don't have the time to think about it, which I think probably makes, potentially makes good art, maybe. You can spend months, you know, making a record and overthinking everything and actually that doesn't matter to the person who listens to it. The person who listens to it just wants to feel excited by something. And quite often, I think, you know, kind of when you're going through the process of making demos, when I was, you know, even way back when I was making demos, when I was 14, 15 or whatever, or working in a studio as a T-boy and the band had brought their demos in. And this was kind of at the end of the night, well, early 2000s. So kind of home recording hadn't quite, got to the levels it's got to now. So you come in with this demo and then the whole band, you know, they'd done the record and they'd be sat around and they'd be trying to figure out why their song didn't have that thing that the demo had and they can't put their finger on it. And kind of, you know, demo-itis. And, uh, and nowadays you obviously you record something half decent, you just fly it in from the laptop. But um, I think that kind of moment of creation is quite an exciting one. Um, and it's quite liberating. I think that's sort of the essence of it, really. And it's kind of uh, not worry about all the other things that the music industry brings. Just, mm. just make make something in a day that didn't exist before. Being a, an older person, gonna, um, I remember the days of when bands would have to release like three B-sides per CD. And I heard stories of bands being told, you've got a day to make a B-side. And it, that sort of reminds me of what you're doing there. Like they just go in, and just do be creative and do something they would never put on an album or a single. Yeah. And some of the most interesting songs from the bands I liked growing up were these random B-sides when they'd just be doing bizarre songs, which I assume was being told, you've got to fill a, a four-track CD, <laughs> go, go and do something. Well, there's that whole kind of being liberated. I mean, such a shame that B-sides aren't really a thing anymore because... Yeah, agreed. All, all, I mean, certainly all my favourite bands are the same love the b-sides it was the b-sides where the magic was and it kind of you know and that's kind of been lost i think a little bit because you know they can go off track and they can just do, they don't have to conform to the thing that they're supposed to be and they don't have to write that you know three minute song on the radio you know they can kind of just 
go for it. And actually that translates a lot better sometimes, I think. And I think, um, bizarrely, a, a couple of um, bands I followed from those times, um, I think Yvonne Bondi's um, Come On, Come On was written to be a B-side. And then the studio thought, uh, no, that's going to be the single <laughs> in September. So, you know, <laughs> magic can happen and can be commercial, can't it? At least someone noticed in that. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They often don't, you know. So. And I think the other thing is as well, because there's not really, the way it works is everyone who's there on the day, we all share the writing split evenly, no matter how little or how much you perceive to have done. So there's no arguments about that. There's no money in it. I mean, well, not so far anyway. You know, this isn't, uh, you know, it's not a, a game of money. But um, I think that's quite liberating because no one has to kind of count pennies and cut corners. And it's just, you know, it's like how records are supposed to be made, isn't it? It's like Dylan or Stones or, or you know, Bowie. So you go in for a day and you, you know, and it's kind of warts and all and you just kind of live with it. And it's those things that make, I think, personally, that make you want to listen to it again, those imperfections, or that's what I like about those records. So I think, um, you know, I, I just think we've just been through so long, you know, the last 20 years of people trying to, uh, you know, achieve perfection by moving further away from it, personally, for me. Um, I just think everything should be quicker. And it is, I mean, today generally everything is because budgets are so small, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see people in the room just kind of enjoying it. You know? And we will say that you can pre-order the AA Sessions Vital and you can buy it on Bandcamp. So, you know, if you can, chuck them a few quid, still do. Um, yeah, I think what you were talking about, kind of limitations making creativity blossom my what it made me think of was food actually because I think it's that famous Copenhagen restaurant Noma don't quote me on this but I think when it first opened they had a rule that they could only use local ingredients including herbs which in Denmark as you can imagine is a bit more limited and actually having having that stifling to creativity actually made it blossom much more because they really only had a few things to to play with so uh so yeah and now it's a two-star michelin restaurant or three-star michelin restaurant or something like that so i think um denmark's where the dogma film yeah came from as well wasn't it dogma you know, 95 I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that sort of uh keep it as basic as i can and see what happens you know yeah. but i think a few bands like didn't the, the ravenettes have a rule that they could only two chords have, yeah it? two chords yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you can't do that over more than one album shortly but <laughs> i don't think they did but yeah I think that's, uh, you know, like nothing kills creativity like choice, does it really? You know, uh, the, uh, my studio doesn't really even have, I mean, we've got basic acoustic instruments, you know, drums, basses, guitars, amps, pianos, the odd synth, but apart from that, there's, it's not, there's nothing else. So you kind of have to be able to pick it up and do something with it, even if you can't play it. Um, I had an interview years ago, uh, I think it was around the time Bubble, came, Bubble Gum came out, with uh, Mark Lanigan record, which I really loved. And he was talking a lot about kind of how interesting it was when you had good musicians, not necessarily players, but musicians who were playing an instrument they didn't naturally play, I don't know, so guitarists playing drums or something. And because you're, when you get to that level, you're listening to what you're doing and correcting yourself, you're 
but you can't do the technical things. You're just, just trying to make it work however you can, and you kind of find a way to do it. And I think that's quite interesting. And, uh, you know, like, you know, everyone can sort of pick up something and sort of noodle around in it, but it's quite nice to kind of be forced in that direction, you know. Um, and uh, I guess kind of lucky enough to know so many great people who are quite talented and just seem to be able to constantly sort of surprise you. You, you're kind of sat there and you're wondering, well, how's this going to go? I don't know how this is going to go. And, it, you know, like, oh, so far, touch wood, you know, everyone's just kind of, yeah, totally, totally nailed it. Um, had something to bring to the table. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of fun. And I think as well, that whole, along with limitations, it's like deadlines is the other thing. It's like, I, yeah, I can't work without a deadline. And I don't know many people who, musicians who can, you know, so if you've got a very strict deadline, it just gets done. And then you move on and it's a, just a, such a, a mental relief to let it go. And it feel, you know, it's kind of what you kind of thrive on, I suppose, after a while of doing sort of project-based kind of work. It's like, oh, it's gone. Ah, um, can't mess with it anymore. And I think that's probably quite, quite good for everyone. Yeah, you, you, you would hear like in the 80s and 90s, these bands taking six years to make an album with like 10 producers and endless studios. And I think those days are surely gone now because no one's going to give them that amount of money to make one album, you know? Yeah, it's just nuts, isn't it? It's like the, the Def Leppard spending a year on a kick drum in the steering or something. You know? it's like, does anyone listen to that record now? Not really. Are you from the area or did you move to, to the area from somewhere else? I grew up in Salisbury and then after university, lived in London and Guildford and then moved to Brighton. So I'm actually just outside Brighton, uh, nearer Brighton than Lewis, but the studio's nearer Lewis because it's the closest place to be. But I know Lewis a fair, a little bit. But why, why did you pick then Lewis as the location for the studio and how, how did it come about? Um, me and Ben Hillier, who, who was a builder, we, he just happened to move to the same village that I live in. He's uh, you know, just a great producer, amazing. Um, and uh, we were looking for somewhere, we wanted somewhere interesting. Uh, and with low overheads as well, and somewhere that we could kind of have, not as a commercial studio, or that was the original idea. So. You can just book it as a band. There's kind of just an extension of the things that we do. Um, um, and we were looking for a little bit and a friend of ours had a, had a workshop on a farm. Um, these are split into these units and there were a couple going and um, we managed to get them. And then, so they're kind of just a big sort of agricultural farm. It's not like a wooden you know, beautiful old barn. Um, it's quite industrial. And we just, so inside they're just kind of split up with OSB. So we we got two units and we built um, basically like hay bale rooms inside them. It's kind of, you know, kind of airtight, it's not, not the right way to put it, but certainly weatherproof, weathertight. Um, so they're just kind of mixed rooms that we originally started with, I guess about five years ago maybe. So yeah, they've got straw and, and the insides are actually straw. So they're just kind of held up 
um, that kind of just like theatre drape covers the straw. We were actually going to render them, but we decided it sounded pretty good how it was. So it works quite well because none of the low end gets stuck in there. So, And then another unit came up a few years ago and we built a live room out of it. Yeah, because I mean, the way that um, I've read about it is like a small barn in the countryside, but it sounds much more sophisticated than that and a bit more industrial, as you say. Yeah, it's it's uh, well, the sink's outside. It is undercover. So there's no comforts. The toilet is um, it's like kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe. (laughs) (laughs) But in in the summer, it's beautiful. It's Mm. great. And in winter, it can be a little bit uh, kind of start asking yourself like, am I really nearly this old and why am I making a cup of tea in the, in the freezing cold but, and you hear that on the, on the production if it's summer or winter is there, does it, there's no... yeah I think you probably can yeah no, I mean the summer not much work gets done so it's kind of everything sounds half finished <laughs> just outside playing football or, you know messing around but um yeah, no, that kind of stuff definitely wears off, I think. Yeah. It's actually quite like, I, I live in Bournemouth and I can't even think of one recording studio anymore. Like, just like the, the area, it's just like my area, for example, all of the, the venues where a rock band would play are gone unless you're going to go to like a, the BRC, for example. Oh. It's, everyone seems to have, to have to make music at home, which is why in my area we get mainly dance acts because they can do it at home, like a full rock band. I think, you know, in my local area, it's just completely gone. And I, I'm, I think it sounds like Brighton has still got a flourishing you know, rock and roll scene. Um, it's nice that you have studios like yours that exist for bands to go to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I th- it's hard to know because Brighton's a bit of a bubble um, in terms of the things that are going on here. Uh, we have had had some venues close um, in favour of flats, you know, cool stuff I think this has been happening for years I mean it happened when I grew up in Salisbury and I don't know if there's much left there now but it was kind of going that way at the time I don't know I don't know what it's hard to know how that looks with Brexit and the pandemic and how that all plays out because if bands can't tour in Europe when they make Mm. them because they aren't making any here because no one pays them anything, then uh, there's there's not going to be an industry in this country, really. So, yeah, we'll have to see how that all plays out. Um, yeah. I was going to say come to Brussels because in Brussels there there definitely is. Um, the, down the road from me, there's even a place called, I think, Home Plugged, where it's a house, like an actual house with a living room and a garden and everything. Um but people can go on a fairly residential street, but people can go and record there and people can have gigs. I went to a gig, which just finished at kind of nine 30 on the dot or, or whenever. Um, so it's a, it's a space in the center of the city where people can go and record, but it's still sticking to the kind of sound limits and stuff like that. And um, there's big industrial parts that are kind of only now starting to become slowly a bit more gentrified and hipsterified. So I don't know how long it's going to last, but uh Yes, you'll come to Brussels if you can. That's <laughs> going to be what I was going to say, but I'm sure it won't last for very long either. The sad thing is, I don't know how you make money from music right now. Um, you know, because no one's getting paid for Spotify play. You know, not 
anything that anyone could live on. Mm. Um, so unless they're getting sinks um, or touring and getting paid, there's I can't really see where the money's coming from. So I'm guessing soundtracks a bit, but not not enough. Yeah, they're like sync stuff. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, for a big one, I mean, it's just it's often, you know. So uh, I guess they're going to have to. Uh, the the thing is, I suppose, as things evolve, when you're younger, it's much more easy to evolve with it very quickly, um, and probably you know probably have your head wrapped in that kind of world uh, and for perhaps those of us who are a little bit older it's a bit more difficult to think about how those kind of old structures move you know so you just have to rely on young people and sort it out i guess you know we had idols who were multi-millionaires you know so people must people getting into music in the 90s thought they had a chance of you know becoming this big behemoth maybe these days they don't ever see themselves ever being that because the idols are younger and, and you know they, they don't see themselves as uh, becoming Bono they see themselves mm. as becoming an artist and maybe they have different goals and different views in the whole music industry but they do it because they love music and you know, they want to create I think it's the same with many jobs now isn't it you can't do one thing anymore yeah. you can't just be uh, oh well, you're very lucky if you can perhaps but um, you know you have to do lots of different things and you, you know I just have the most massive amount of respect for anyone who is in a band um, because I mean there's no security whatsoever there's there's almost no financial reward there's uh, you know all these plays into massive mental health mm. issues um, you know everything is uncertain and you know to kind of put yourself on the line for that I think is kind of a remarkable thing and I don't think we value it enough um, um, and and what we have or we've had for the last 10 or so years is, you know, bands who can do everything themselves, you know, they're kind of experts in marketing and all these other skill sets that, um, you know, they could probably make quite a lot of money if they go on and, and do something in, in those industries. But, it you know, artists aren't allowed to just be artists anymore. And maybe that's not a bad thing, but... Um, you know, if you want to kind of be seen, then you have to be able to do a whole bunch of things. And unless you, uh, you know, are fortunate enough or um, canny enough to end up with a group of people in the band that can do all of these different roles, then you're uh, you're just going to kind of struggle. Um, so, yeah, I just think yeah, you just got to do a bit of everything. And I think your your span of you know your lifespan as a band. It's tiny, you know, like how many records are you going to make? Well, three, if you're lucky, you know. And so you're going to have to do a lot of other stuff as well in, in your life. And hopefully that's a springboard for, for some of those things if you get well known. Yeah, I, I think a lot about social media because I think it's almost impossible uh, for you to, to be a remotely well-known band, or at least to kind of get some traction without being somewhat of a social media expert and not everyone is in in a band or you know if you're just one person as well then it's a lot of pressure and I mean so Fran and I have day jobs we're doing this for fun we don't expect to get any money and the amount of time it takes Fran to edit and me to do the marketing is, is huge but you know we know that if we didn't do it it wouldn't get any listens and uh yeah I can't imagine what it's like for for bands where who might be trying to survive just just on that I think as you say the 
they must have to do other jobs. And I'm always quite fascinated as well to see kind of what bands do in their downtime. Um, because I'm sure, yeah, I, I know that some kind of yeah, work menial jobs or are copywriters or other things, but yeah, you, you, you have to be, is it a multi-hyphenate? Is that the, is that the term for the, these days? Um, so, so well, yeah. Some of my favorite bands are now lecturing in Brighton. Oh yeah. So yeah, like um, Paul with the bass player and Gomez, mm-hmm. he, he lectures in Brighton. Um, Martin from Jean, he's now a lecturer, and you know that's another income. But it's what I find interesting is bands who who kind of started in the early noughties when there was still you know some money to be made, who are still carrying on. Like I love British Sea Power, who are based in Brighton, and I'm always curious to see how they've gone from obviously being a band who are selling records and then seeing their career completely change over the past 20 years and now you know all their laughter albums were done by the fans like we we crowdsourced mm. their albums and i have no idea what they do between albums because i assume they, they can't live full-time <laughs> so mm. it's weird how a band can can be a full-time musician for maybe 15 years and then suddenly find out oh right, i i've got to get a job yeah. uh, to, to, to do my passion you know i mean in in some ways they were one of those bands that kind of grew up with their fans a little bit, you know, and kind of have kind of been legitimized and kind of bona fide in a kind of high arts, perhaps the wrong word, but they've kind of gone beyond being that punk band anymore. And they kind of mm. have steam because they kind of, you know, grew up with it. But um, yeah, I just, you know, it's like I always remember, I know, being a kid and you kind of read about Kurt Cobain saying, you know, I earned a million dollars a year and I spent a million dollars a year and in five years I'm going to have to get a normal job and I have no idea what I'm going to do. And you're like, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Over underrated. Getting off the maybe more depressing topics. So Ben, you actually made a playlist of, of five acts. I imagine who you've worked with slash are on the AA Sessions record for, for us to kind of listen. Like, are they kind of five underrated artists, would you say, from, from the region? Uh, yeah, ish. Um, I think I would have to look at the playlist quickly. To turn <laughs> That's people. okay. But I'm pretty sure most of them have been on the AA session. Some of the stuff uh, I did, some of it I didn't, but I know the bands and I like them. Um, so let me just have a look what it was. Um, so yeah, I think they're underrated, definitely. Uh, I didn't bother including, I didn't think there was much point in sort of mentioning sort of Red Shoes or Tiger Cub or you know they've got so much coverage at all point we, yeah. we did we did an episode on on blood red shoes and uh, tiger cover one of my favorite bands they according to spotify they were my uh artist of the decade for the tens because i listened to them so much but i will add that i also bought their records okay so that's how much i was listening to them that i had i had their cds and and was listening to them on spotify um so yeah that even from us they, they're getting enough coverage but uh but yeah so what was the the first artist and song that you picked for the for the playlist uh, it looks like i picked projector this was a single they released a couple of months ago uh i actually did this with an ep with them this is the first song from that um and i've done lucy who's the singer and the bassist has appeared on several of the aa sessions uh so far um, 
they've been around for a few years. Um, so yeah, uh, I like it. It's good. Yeah. So I I knew Projector already from from AA sessions, and uh, they're on the second volume as well, and including the track, which I absolutely love the title. I just want to lie in bed and drink my wine. I think that was a, a great choice as well to kind of kick off the record because it was in January, pure lockdown. It felt like total escapism uh, when I listened to it. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the How Does It Feel EP, which I think you also produced for them. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that's it was from an interview with them that I, I got the quote of, you know, we recorded in a a record in a small barn in the middle of the Sussex countryside. We love Ben. He gets the best out of us. He's very important to our sound. He stops us sounding too polished. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, they, I think this song has some fantastic sort of distorted synth guitar sounds. And um, I, I quite like the, the shout singing and the, uh, the alternating male, female vocals, because yeah, if th this one definitely has more of a male lead, whereas I think, like you say, Lucy was more the lead singer before, right? Yeah, I think they're kind of alternating. They both write the songs, and I think they're both really quite good songwriters, and they both write great lyrics actually. Um, but this one is funny because this we have when we're doing the EP. I, th I think about, we had four songs in the ring, and the fourth song when we're doing pre-production. I mean, this was like the week before. It's like mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this one's up to it. And they just they hadn't long had a new drummer and they like came up with this bare bones of a track and it was just really exciting and we didn't know what we were doing when we did it you know we we're just kind of going with it i mean i say we they did it and i helped a bit but um uh yeah so it was kind of exciting and i think i think it was all of our favorite thing from from that ep um and probably because it was new and fresh and you know, we didn't know what we were doing really. So we kind of enjoyed it and it was, the, the pressure was off a little bit um, because it was just like, okay, well, we're just going to do this. Okay. How did it differ from the demo? Was it quite a change or? Well, it wasn't really written in the sense that it was just this sort of slightly mental jam, the drum signatures, the drum time signatures a bit weird. Um, and it kind of ironed itself out. <laughs> For instance, the, the chorus vocal, was completely different until five minutes until we did it. And we just sort of said, I don't think the chorus is good enough. I think we can do something better. And so we sent Ed, the guitarist of Down to the River to think of something else after we did five minutes. Down to the river, okay. <laughs> and we said, we've got to do this before he comes back because if we haven't, we're just going to argue about it all day. So we just, you know, Lucy just did a thing. Uh, and we didn't even redo the vocal, we just kept it. Um, as it was, because it was kind of worked. Um, so I had a nice little story behind it. One um, geeky thing I was going to ask you is I really love the sound of the main riff, and it kind of sounds like a dirty keyboard, but I assume it is a guitar. Uh, I think it's guitar. And is it, because I know they're three-piece, aren't they? So I didn't know if I was sneaking a keyboard, but it has like a really dirty sort of like death from above kind of sound to it. Which oh, I really liked. Well, there was a lot of synths on this. I'd have to hear it. You'd have to point out to me. Which <laughs> the main the main theme we're going through. Uh, there are some there are some synths on it that double some bits, and there are some weird synthy high bits. Uh, I'd have to listen to it. It's, been, it's, it's on there, and it sounds brilliant. So thank you. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so Fran, did you know Projector before? No, um, out of the five, the only band I've come across uh, was Sick Joy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I thought the song was brilliant. So thank you for introducing it to me. I was a bit scared with this one because it was quite loud. And uh, Fran and I have slightly differing music tastes, but yeah, so I, I'm happy. <laughs> but it's loud and melodic. This is like, yeah. like you know, yeah. Nine Its Nails, I love. You know, I, I just don't like it when it's like just loud for the sake of being loud. So this, no, this is cool. This is on, this is uh, this is on my list of uh, added it to my Spotify likes. Oh, great. So next up, Ben, what did what have you picked? Uh, I picked a song called to- "Total Ninety by a band called Dits, um, who, who just done an album with actually since January. This was uh, this hasn't. I mean, I literally finished it today. Um, Great. This is a single we did, I think it was last summer or something. What is there to say? It's got a great video. Yep. Uh, I've seen it, damn it. It's it's like a a 1980s football game with like, is it slaves in it as well, aren't they? Yeah. And fur, I think. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, Yeah, uh, they're nice guys, but... um, yeah, it's quite noisy. I think <laughs> I knew them when they were students, actually, and um, and sort of seen them grow in kind of confidence and swagger as they kind of got a bit older in the last couple of years, to the point where I think that, like for instance, the album that we've just done, I think the lyrics are really, really, really good. Um, well, I think it's. You know, it is quite noisy and probably doesn't tick all the melodic boxes. Um, but I think he, Cal, uh, Cal, the singer's got something useful to say. Um, so yeah, so that was that was my way into playing a bit of dance, really. I had that on my thing to ask you. Like, is the content of of the songs what gets you? Like, because I think some producers, it's all about you know the sound, but is is what they're what he's writing about? Is that what influence you to, to want to, to produce them is that part of it i think it depends on uh, the the band um i I mean i'm not very interested in the sound at all (laughs) um i just like things that sounds well it's this kind of stuff anyway to sound kind of real um and seeing them live it's just chaos i mean it's mental um it's great and just trying to capture some some element of that in the recording isn't the goal really um but yeah he, i mean i just like their attitude and their general thing that the swagger they have you know rather than um rather than specifics because i think probably i didn't hear the lyrics before we worked on it um i think you can tell a lot by the way people sort of carry themselves you know you know what you like don't you doesn't necessarily have to fit into a certain pigeonhole of you know that type of music or that type of music it sort of kind of gets you in some way it kind of you know you feel like you could add to it and help them make it emotionally interactive i suppose so yeah i think this was the only band on your playlist that i i didn't know um and i i really like the very unexpected directions it goes in, you know, the vocals go from loud to quiet to loud. I got a lot of different vibes of, uh, of bands that I like. So vocally, I got shame kind of almost immediately as the as the song started, the vocals from shame. And it also reminded me of the Swedish bands uh, Viagra Boys and Fuse that I'm I'm a big fan of. Um, so it was all it was all good influences coming together. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But um, 
what I actually also enjoyed, I, I didn't realize that they'd done a cover of Fuck the Pain Away by Peaches and it is phenomenal. <laughs> it, uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard it, Fran, but basically- No, no, I want to. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so good because, so it starts and you think, okay, this is going to be like a simple rock cover. It starts with, you know, just drums, a bass and the singing, but then there's some real distorted guitars uh, in between the vocal takes. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a lovely surprise. So yeah, thank you, Ben, for introducing me to Dits. Fran? <laughs> yeah, there are, there's some live, live clips of them. Um, um, playing and it sounds pretty good live as well so like um I, I think you've done a good job to catch the loud sound on on uh, um no I, I, you know you've spoken about me not being like i'm not a big fan of um of idols and slaves but i did enjoy this like yeah i, I like there's not something there's not a track on here which i didn't enjoy actually so you've done and no, so you've done very well with your choices and yeah and i was just kind of blown away by you know how they look and how they present themselves um hopefully if they do open the world um and if they do have a great escape festival and price in the game i can come and see them yeah i it's funny because i i don't i have no idea what they look like i think i i briefly looked at the the picture that they have on spotify so i'm i'm going purely on on the sound and not really on the lyrics because uh actually some of the songs on the playlist i i sat up and paid attention to the lyrics but um i think i was just so intrigued by by is it canon the the singer's voice mm-hmm. that kind of mesmerized me i think more more than anything else and then it was is it noisy is it quiet uh so yeah okay well now i i'm definitely going to go and check out the video and he um he dresses in a blonde wig in the live show i saw and i think isn't one there like the most well-known song is, is it gay boy is uh, quite a big hit for them that was a previous single yeah 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 i saw that one as well okay. it's pretty cool okay so what's the next choice uh ben next choice i have less to say about because i'm involved in any way shape or form with this um is 10 girls by cersei um and this is a record that uh steven steve ansel did um, with her, and I just think it's great. I just, and it's just an amazing pop song, it just blows me away every time. Um, that's kind of it. I'd be interested to know what you think. I remember because I follow Stephen Bloodred Shoes on social media. I remember around the time this came out that he was promoting it a lot. And you know, the, the album has very striking visuals, but for some reason, I don't know, I just didn't click through, I didn't. I didn't go and listen to it and I'm absolutely delighted that you included it on this playlist because yeah I absolutely love this song I think I've listened to it about seven times today um and uh yeah the lyrics as well uh, are very good because it the way I'm interpreting it is she's with a she's with a new lover and she's feeling insecure about all the all the girls that have come before uh and she doesn't want to be another one uh on you know the bedpost or whatever it is but it's it's very subtle um and yeah, the 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 synths I called them at- atmospheric slash disturbing. Uh, you know, against the lyrics and the clean percussion, I, I I think it's brilliant. Love the way it builds. Um, and I imagine, Fran, this was right up your street, actually. It was, it was, and I um apparently the the lyrics as uh regarding the ham the handmaiden's tale, which I've never seen. Ah uh, yeah so. yeah. Uh, that, um, that's going to come up again later. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so yeah, because I, I heard this, and I, I, to me, this is the most commercial track. Like, you know, it sounds like, um, uh, like Lord A is, 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 it has that, you know, that cool pop feel to me. And I did check out her, um, her on Google, and it turns out this was um, playlisted on Radio One. So, 
you know, out. But then when I checked Spotify, it didn't have them to matching play. So it's still very underrated. Um, I don't, yeah. Um, but I thought, no, I thought it was brilliant. And um, yeah, and I was, I was going to ask, um, I know you didn't produce this, Ben, but like when, when a band does um, record with you, are they conscious of it? Um, being played on radio like are they scared of like oh having a, a long intro or being too weird or having swearing or do they just, just care about the art uh oh it just, it just depends on the, what we're doing i think it's uh we have a, we sit down before we start working together and decide exactly what they're trying to achieve and uh and therefore and you know kind of come up with like a mission statement is perhaps a the wrong phrase to use but some kind of brief thing to guide us you know so if it's if they just want to be on the radio then yeah if we've got a choice to make about a long intro then it's a very simple choice to make but it it just depends on what we all agree on you know and what everyone wants really yeah i i've read articles about the spotify sort of algorithm or you know the fact that people are consciously using shorter intros now because so many people discover songs through spotify playlists and you know if it's not catching their attention within five seconds they're going off and yeah i i, I don't really know how to feel about that to be honest because uh yeah i'm sure on the one hand in some situations some fitter is cut but on on the other hand i mean i i i like songs that are i like many songs that are very long like six minutes nine minutes and uh yeah I don't think we're going to have Paranoid Android at number two again anytime soon. Yeah. A tube of the bells would not be a hit these days, would mm. it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> instrumental. <laughs> no, but I think the thing to remember is somewhere someone's making some weird and wonderful music and it is being released and you can listen to it. It's just a bastard to find it. <laughs> and that's the problem there. I think, yeah. Um, it is out there. People are making some really cool stuff. but It's, it's the double-edged sword of Spotify, I find, because I, I think Spotify, for me, has introduced me to so many bands that I would have not found anywhere else. But that's because I am a selective music fan. Like I'm, I do listen to playlists, but, you know, I'm going to go down the related artists' play, rabbit hole and, um, you know, listen to playlists made by artists that I like, for example, rather than just go on, you know, Viral 50 or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, I think from what I, again, I've read about user behavior on Spotify, most people are not like that. They're just going on the bigger playlists and, and doing that. So yeah, of course you're right that there's always going to be dedicated music fans always looking out for that weird and wonderful music. Yeah. It is a bit of a shame that it's becoming so digitized or, yeah. If live shows are happening and vibrant mm -hmm. and there's enough money for people to get paid to do them, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's a small amount, uh, then you know, that, that's how you discover bands, I suppose. Um, and I think there is probably an appetite for people to go and see bands at the moment. Um, just need need the venues and the infrastructure, you know, yeah. two years. Um, but it's interesting talking about the algorithms and Spotify, because the one thing that I've talked about with Steve quite a lot um, is because we're doing solo wealth, we get quite quick feedback about what people listen to and what, people aren't listening to it's it's quite depressing <laughs> you know like the one song that I really really liked that we did and I thought oh, I kind of really like this one I'm really into it like no one's listening to it no one 
And the ones that are done in like, you know, just kind of starts throw away, you know, are the ones that kind of, you know, which it just goes to show, doesn't it? You shouldn't be precious about anything. Um, but it is quite interesting. And I think you do start to notice and you, you could probably quite easily tailor the way you make something specifically for Spotify. And I don't think it would actually have to be like necessarily pop to do it. It just has mm. to do with sort of boxes, which is kind of interesting and probably not worth thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> and healthy. Yeah, I think I remember like a big pop producer said it's all about the drums and vocal. As long as you've got great drums and great vocal, it's going to be, it can be a pop hit. People that care about bass is what he told me. Is that true? Is oh, it, is it, is it, I hope not. <laughs> People only listen to the melody and the drums on the radio more as a person hits them. Yeah, that's probably true, but it's a bit kind of eight, sort of 80s school of thinking, I think. I don't know. But yeah, I, I remember Charlie XCX, who, you know, writes pop for herself and writes pop for other people. I remember her talking about how she'd been to sort of these boot camps with fellow uh, songwriters and how with sometimes they'd kind of have a competition from themselves of like how many, you know, pop cliche, well, maybe not cliches, but how many typical pop things can we jam into, into one song, you know? And I guess that's like the anti, I don't know, Radiohead doing just trying to get as many chords in as possible because here it's like, yeah, with, with the view to, to tick all the boxes, but, uh, but yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, but this, you know, obviously this isn't a new phenomenon. This has been going on since the beginning of, music i mean it's capitalism isn't it it's mm-hmm. make as much money as you can um i don't know so it is what it is but i don't think you know and some good stuff maybe comes out of that but also i think most of that stuff isn't going to be listened to or in 10 years i don't know whether that's important i don't know it just has to be someone doesn't it i mean something someone and that's that's all that matters i suppose it might off the uh, klf um back in the day <laughs> on their guides on how to, how to get a number one. Um, but <laughs> moving on back to the playlist, we're going to Sick Joy Vibe Sucker. Joy. Uh, yes. Okay, so I did do this one. This was, they've been around a little while and when I first met them, which was a few years ago now, they wanted to do something a bit less sort of straight up rock and a bit straight up rock, someone word. But I just thought maybe slightly more, uh, slightly Aurora or something. Um, anyway, we went away to Newcastle and we had a lovely couple of weeks there in the studio. Um, and I really liked the song. And it didn't, they've had quite a few plays, they've just made an album actually uh, up in London with um, another producer, uh, which I imagine is, is going to be great. Um, uh, but this, yeah, this didn't get, it didn't get as much, I don't know if it was the promotion or whether people didn't respond to it, I'm not sure. But I really like this song. Um, I really like everything about it. We had a really nice time making it. I just remember Michael, who's the, the singer, sort of doing Freddie Mercury impressions at four in the morning while we were trying to get the vocal done for this and it was the last day and we were, we were all a bit wired. Um, so it's it's good, good times. No, it's a great it's a great um, indie track, and yeah, and I'm I'm surprised it's not like you know uh, as popular as um, you know like sports team, for example, remind me of. Um, but I, I I don't know 
how uh, a rock and indie band get big these days. Like, you know, you've got Royal Blood and Brighton who, you know, headlining massive festivals. Uh, and then you get a band who are equally talented, you know, just playing in pubs. I don't know. It's bizarre how, how it works these days. It is, although I think I think Sikdra might be, or possibly might be hearing a lot more about them soon, maybe, judging by what's going on in the background. But hopefully, hopefully, because they worked hard. That, that's really good to hear because yeah, I, I knew the song already. Um, I got into them after the first day of Sessions Records. Um, and I think I, I really love the song, although I have to say my favourite is History, which I think you also did, Ben. That one was on repeat a lot. But yeah, this is this is fantastic. It's I, I've got it's rock and roll with pop sensibilities. Uh, the chorus is extremely earwormy and and catchy. Um, and Sick Joy, I think they were my first lockdown gig that I saw really back in probably April, um, they did a Facebook live gig where I don't know where they were doing it, but they'd rigged up something very simple. And it, it was, it was reassuring, you know, I, I felt like, okay, yeah, we're really in the shit here. I don't know what's going on, but okay. You know, bands that I like are still making stuff happen. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you're saying that they are that kind of band and, and yeah, if they've got a new album coming out and, uh, we're going to be hearing a, more, a lot more about them. Fantastic. Uh, they deserve it. And the next um and the final track are a band I've known to support them on tour quite often. Yes, they ha- uh yeah, they're kind of mates. Mates have each other yeah, for sure. So this is uh this is Speak to My by Clip Trip, um, of which there are other versions. Um I didn't do I didn't do this, um, but I know them. Um and I kind of work with them a little bit, but uh uh yeah, didn't do the album. Um, but I just, I just think they're incredible live, just unbelievable because they're a three piece and, uh, Scott, who's a guitarist sort of does everything. Everything you hear seems to be coming out of his guitar at once. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And the drummer Daphne is just so on it. Um, and Annie's just brilliant. Um, and it's just this kind of ball of energy that all moves in the right way, you know? It's like, I don't know, like watching Rage Against a Machine or something, you know, when all the energy is moving in a certain direction and it, you know, it has that kind of feeling, which maybe it's because it's a three-piece and you've got all that kind of energy from the guitar. But I did a, I did a live session with, um, I think it was about this time last year, just a couple of tracks, um, just at mine. Um, and yeah, they just—it's just like <laughs> they're actually playing it. It's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. So anyway, yeah, they're great. Uh, I really like her lyrics, and she's got great things to say um, and questions to ask. Um, so I don't don't know what they're doing at the moment in terms of uh, band stuff. Um, I don't know if they're doing another record or an EP or waiting to tour, um, but yeah, I think they're great. Randomly, I uh, one of the only places you can play for in a band is a metal club in Bournemouth, and they're supporting a metal band next year, I noticed. Oh. So I don't know how that works, <laughs> but um, yeah, they, they'll see. I, well, yeah, I guess, they, like, like I said, the guitar's quite loud, so maybe they can kind of fit in with the, uh, the metal scene. So yeah, they have a tour booked, and I think they're playing like the joiners in Southampton and, you know, some of those cool little um, bars in Bath and those sort of places. So I, if they're in Bournemouth, I will definitely go and, and check them out because I thought they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're brilliant. And um, Babs, 
they remind me of that Belgian band. Um, okay, piss. Did, there we go. Yep. Cocaine piss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I got that vibe as well. Uh, even though I think, um, is, is it Annie, the lead singer? She, uh, Cocaine Piss, they're kind of the, uh, lyric, her voice is all over the place uh, in, in a good way. But what I really enjoyed about Annie's vocals were it was like simultaneously very strong and controlled, but also vulnerable. I think I think her vocal range is sensational uh, on here. And yeah, I absolutely love this. The, the lyrics really hit you in the face immediately any songs about internalized misogyny i'm on board um it also reminded me a bit of sleigh bells uh, in a way because sleigh bells are also kind of mixing kind of the really distorted sense with uh, with guitars which again is uh, is right up my streets and uh yeah the handmaid's tale comes back i think because according to their spotify uh after their first show the author of handmaid's tale margaret atwood said don't let the bastards grind you down which is this quote from from the handmaid's tale uh, and i think annie's from toronto so yeah that i guess that kind of checks out that margaret atwood might be a, a, a clip drop show um but yeah they, they're absolutely fantastic and actually ben i i heard the the album when it came out last year i didn't i think i discovered them through related artists on on spotify that it's they're definitely a more recent band and I listened to the album and I loved it, but I think because it was so loud and hard and I, I, I don't know if it's lockdown, I don't know if it's just, you know, my music changed taste every year. I, I, I kind of didn't come back to it immediately, but uh, when I listened to this again, I was like, why on earth did I not come back to this? And I went and just bought the CD off of Bandcamp. So yeah, and uh, I, I was pleased to see as well that there's like a remixed version of it. And um, yeah, some of the people who've remixed it have also been on uh, AA sessions, so AKDK. Uh, have remixed a couple of their songs so if they tour anywhere in Europe I would also be very much up for seeing them. What else is um worth checking out perhaps? Uh, on AA Sessions? Or oh no, um, no just, just band. <laughs> oh this I just the, the album without eyes like uh, yeah. the whole album is is really good um it was one of those so when I went into looked at it I think I'd saved about five or six songs and this wasn't one of them and I'm like how was this not one of them this is a really good song but which just goes to show like it's I think it's an album that's worth it is worth listening to more than once uh and and when you're in the mood to listen to harder rock obviously um Ben how do bands do bands approach you to produce them or, or do you see a band live and approach them how's it work that way um I don't think I've ever approached anyone I'm not very good at that kind of thing so, <laughs> uh I guess they approach me um but you know, after a certain amount of time, a lot of it is kind of word of mouth, isn't it? I think, and someone knows someone, so everything's quite connected, really, in many ways, which is kind of nice. You know, it's kind of a nice thing. Um, but yeah, more usually it's they approach me, I guess. Is there a band in the local scene who'd like to produce or work with? Um, yet had a chance yet. <laughs> I'd really like to do something with Cersei, maybe an AA session. Although I don't know whether that's possible. Um, I would like to, uh, who would I like to work with? Loads of bands, really. Um, I would really, I'd really love to do an album for Clipture. I would really like to do that. Um, um, who else? I know, I really like working with Steve. I'd love to do more stuff with Steve, maybe even outside AA sessions. I don't know how that works, but he's a very fun guy to work with. He's doing a lot of production at the moment. Um, kind of similar to the sort of Cersei vibe, I guess. But he's 
uh, a man who's full of an extreme amount of energy and he's very direct and it's very like, it's, you know, it's kind of reductionist. It's quite refreshing. It's quite good fun. Yeah, because I think he's produced, is I don't know how you pronounce it, A-R-X-X or Arx. Arx. Uh, yeah, and they, they've got some great songs and they seem to be getting bigger uh, recently. And I, I've heard some of their songs on, um, I think like on TV or on, on TV shows. So, uh, so yeah, I, he's doing well. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see a collaboration between the two of you. Uh, I think that would be really fun. And yeah, I, I met Steve very briefly uh, after a Blood Red Shoes in Luxembourg in 2009. And yeah, it was absolutely mad gig. You know, Blood Red, Blood Red Shoes Live are so energetic as a, as a two-piece. And yeah, he was still so full of energy and giving me very strong opinions about why he didn't like the current indie drum sound, I think, in 2009. He's like, oh, it's too... It's too much, and I was like, "Okay, this is interesting music." Wasn't expecting to talk about that, but uh, but yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> he's yeah, he's always on one. Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of bands. I think it'd be nice to kind of. It's kind of nice to get pair people up with, you know, someone perhaps from a smaller local band and someone who's perhaps, you know, got a higher profile who might not necessarily be Brighton based and kind of bring them together. I think that's kind of the ultimate goal, you know, just go and get creative people, kind of new, new sort of collaborations and possibilities that they can then go off maybe and explore further, or, you know, because it's kind of really about who you know and that kind of things. Um, and it just seems to be a, a nice thing for everyone to do. It's kind of seems to, it does, doesn't seem to have been to anyone's detriment yet, at least. <laughs> Okay. When you were growing up, um, was there any bands who you went to who'd like to work with now? Or I think they're all. Uh, I've retired. Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, they'll still be going. Christ. Um, don't know. I, I I would love to do something with uh, one of the members of Sonic Youth for sure. Um, uh, the King, Kim Gordon solo album, have you heard that? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I really like that person. But from when I was growing up, I think they were all dead or given <laughs> up, hopefully. Yeah. Well, uh, Thurston Moore uh, was the last gig I saw uh, pre, pre-COVID and he played at this venue called Les Ateliers Klaus in Brussels, which is the venue he always plays in because it's a very small venue and they also have residency for artists. So I think he actually may even kind of go and record there um so you know and he he lives in stoke newington right or, or something like that so yeah. he's yeah i think quite often seems to be brighton quite well did before covid so mm. here every now and again playing in a tiny, tiny venue somewhere um there are two other uh aa sessions bands that i'd geekily like to ask you about then if that's okay um i got really into sweet williams um I think he's amazing and he's putting out so much music and it's also good. Uh, so yeah, I was really intrigued to hear about your working with him and, and what it's like and how, where does he find the creative talent <laughs> for putting out so much good music? So Sweet Williams, Tom House, who used to be in, what's it called? What's the brand called? Charlotte Field. Mm-hmm. Kind of on Fat Cat back in the day, sort of years ago, I guess, maybe the end of the 90s. 
they were kind of, I guess they're kind of a bit like sort of cult band now and that kind of maybe math rock it became turned into. Anyway, he's, I first met him, I guess, 10, 15 years ago and he, we came to do a record and he's very, he would type his lyrics out on a, on a typewriter. Nice. <laughs> you know, he's like the ultimate romantic um, and he's just the most amazing man, amazing guitarist, but he's just, thinks about everything in these certain patterns, which is which is a really interesting way to compose. And uh, uh, we've done a couple of records together. The last one we did, he played everything. Mm -hmm. It's kind of very odd. It was a great record. Uh, I really liked it. Um, and yeah, he's brilliant. He's great to have around. In fact, he played a little bit on... Um, one of the tracks that came out recently, play a little bit of guitar, but I had to say he's in Spain at the moment, so I had he had to do a bit over the internet and send it back to me. Um, but yeah, he's yeah, he's a genius. Yeah, he to me, I think he's my king gizzard and the lizard wizard of just like he's putting out so many albums, and it, for me, it takes a while to get into it again. And then I've you know I've just got into it, and then it's like oh, another one's coming out, and I, I like to yeah take the time to to listen to them. So yeah, that's. That's really good. I hope he, I hope he keeps it up. Um, I think we, we touched on it a little bit, but so many people talk about the state of rock music, British rock music. I think the playlist that you gave us, it's five bands from one specific region of the UK. And it's absolutely showing the rock and roll is alive and well and, and thriving. Um, and, but, but I think that people know that because it's not a more mainstream genre at the moment, people are having to be innovative and, you know, this is rock, but there's a lot of synths, uh, for example, and, and other things going on. Um, and yeah, you know, when people say rock is dead, it's like, well, no, it's it's still there. You just have to dig for it. What you're saying is the genre that was mainstream when I was a teenager isn't mainstream anymore. And you can absolutely still find bands doing fantastic music. So, uh, so yeah. So yeah, long, long, live, uh, long live British rock and, uh, and initiatives like the AA Sessions, really. Well, I notice um, from these tracks and uh, other um, you know, contemporaries is that there's a lot of uh, old 90s vibes. Like everyone seems to be honing in on the 90s, like, you know, like shoegaze, grunge, sort of like noise rock. Have you noticed that yourself, Ben? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's that Brighton, certainly in Brighton, that's been going on, probably started happening about... I guess 2011, 12, or certainly bands like Tiger Cub kind of pulled that through, really. And then that's kind of been going on for a little while. I think it's kind of probably had its day now. And you kind of, those bands are starting to change a little bit, maybe. Um, and there's, there's a little bit less of, it, of the grunge thing about, certainly. But I guess we're just working our way through music history from <laughs> start to finish aren't we really um you know but yeah there's definitely a lot of old 90s going on for sure yeah we'll we'll get to the noughties very soon i'm sure i feel like uh visually was, was looking back already wasn't it <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's strange because i i don't know again from being on instagram i feel like a lot of accounts that i follow at the moment are being quite nostalgic about the noughties, whether it's fashion or, uh, yeah, or I don't know, maybe you know, Britney Spears being in the news, obviously, uh, is making people reflect about certain things that are definitely best left behind in the noughties. But um, 
yeah i yeah i definitely feel like 90s as the retro years that's that's been going for a while so yeah i just i just think it's inevitable or i don't know even further back to the 20s and it'll be flatters again who knows um but uh yeah spare us the 90s <laughs> yeah, I was too old to really enjoy culture in the noughties. You know what I mean? Like my, you know, nineties, I kind of got it, but in the noughties, I've just kind of become cynical already. Um, I don't know if that was because I was working in music and kind of seeing it unfolding. But I just, yeah, for me, I just, I'm sure there are great bands, but not many of them kind of lasted for me. I'm afraid. So that's quite interesting because I think uh, I was at uni in the mid noughties um, and that was kind of garage rock revival indie indie time. So I feel like, yeah, say 2003 to 2008, there's a lot there that I, that I maybe even 2002, 2008. But my, my personal cultural void where I really didn't listen to a lot of current music was probably yeah, 2009 to 2012. I, I have no idea <laughs> what happened a lot of the time. And then 2012, I got... I went on the music network, This Is My Jam. And there kind of, I, I got into a lot of kind of current and old music. And then from then on, I've been much more actively music curious, let's say, and being like, oh, you know, now that I'm older and, and working to be into music, it's something that I have to put the effort in because, you know, I'm not going clubbing or I'm not listening to the radio uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, so I'm, I'm not as cynical about the noughties, but maybe, yeah, I, in, working in the mu music industry, I'm sure uh, <laughs> doesn't help. Yeah, I mean, it makes me sound like I'm really grumpy. I'm not. I think there's amazing, wherever we are, but there's amazing music coming out now all the time. So much so that I can't keep up with it. And I'm yeah. not very keeping up with it. And I'm, it's not, I'm not regular at names or anything like that. If I can't hold it, I don't understand it very much. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just my brain works. So I have to get other people to recommend me things and point me to things. Um, but there's yeah, there's just so much great music coming out now. Um, I just didn't yeah, I just didn't connect with it in the noughties because it wasn't my time to connect with it. Mm. It's the paralysis of choice that we were talking about as well. Like I have a Spotify playlist called Music to Listen to, which if someone recommends a band or I see a band that sounds interesting, or I see a band that sounds interesting, I put it in there. It's got three thousand eight hundred songs, and every now and again I'll be like, I'm in the mood for new music, and then I'll go and discover a bunch of new bands, and I'll save the relevant ones. But then equally, sometimes I go in my Spotify library, who I'm following, and I'm like, who, who the hell are these people? Because it's people I listen to once and then I, I didn't follow through. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see I've got a bunch of CDs behind me. You know, that's I, I still like like a CD. And obviously, very sad that AA Sessions isn't out on CD, though. I, I understand vinyl is the way, and probably, yeah, this year's the year I'm giving into vinyl. Um, but uh, But, yeah, I think... I think I, I agree with you there that if it's not physically in your hand or for me in my Bandcamp collection, because that's that's a smaller selection of, of songs and and records that I return more easily and quickly to. Whereas I think, yes, yeah, Spotify is just so big. Uh, I don't know where to go sometimes. It's going to be quite hard for me because I can imagine now lots of artists are going to release a lot of music over the next year. And I haven't been catching up with a lot of modern releases and I looked at like what's been released since January and I was like oh no there's too much good music I haven't got time to listen to all these albums yeah. guys stop making good albums because you know <laughs> I can only how dare you 
I know. It's going to be a nightmare. When, yeah, when all the other bands get going again, it's going to be ridiculous the amount of albums are going to be released in the next year. No, Fr- um, Fran, so, literally, yeah. I was stressing today because, so Ben, Fran and I did a Best of 2020 episode where we picked like our, our 10 favourite songs of the year. And I was like, have I listened to to 10 different bands from this? I, I, I think I have, but I, I can't remember their names. I don't know where I've saved them. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? So uh, yeah, I think I think we're all in the same boat there. Um, is there any any further listening, Ben? You, any songs that you'd like to add to a playlist or songs for our uh, listener to check out? Uh, I would just go and check out those bands, check out any of the bands that kind of maybe uh, are on their related artists, see what you dig up. Because they're all, I mean, there's a possibly a vibe with all of these, but I think they're all different enough perhaps that they might dig up some different things. Um, and also I heard... This album by Bird Engine, I think it's Bird Engine. It came out maybe the other week. Anyway, it's great. I would recommend going to check that out. Um, nothing to do with me. But I think he is from. I think he's from Sussex. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so I would go check that out. Bird Engine. I've not heard of them, I think. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's super dark. It's great. Oh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for, for coming on. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to plug or promote? No. no. Okay, well, there we go. I <laughs> Go and listen to AA Sessions. Go and buy AA Sessions, I, I will say on, on Ben's behalf once again, because, yeah, it's a, it's a really great project and yeah, I, I definitely discovered a lot of new bands and related artists from there. And yeah, if, you, if you're if you into your Blood Red Shoes and your Tiger Cubs, I think you'll be into uh, a lot of stuff from there as well. Fran, anything else? Thanks for being our guest. Um, it's our first interview episode. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you have some more. And yeah, thank you for you know getting me into um, some new bands. And thank you for Babs for introducing me to the AS Sessions and yourself. And uh, yeah um hopefully in the future yeah we, i can see these bands in person and, and mm. maybe i can get to brighton because i love watching bands in brighton and I, is it the green door store green door stores yeah i, I saw a band there a couple of years ago and it's, it was a big sweat box but it was, it was a laugh so not very covid safe unfortunately no well, no no definitely not <laughs> i was just gonna say yeah thanks thanks for having me thanks for having me chat fantastic thanks ben see you so that was the best of Sussex. Thank you again to Ben Hansen for guesting on this episode. It was a really entertaining one and lovely for Fran and I. We are going to be on a break, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode. Might catch us guesting on a few other podcasts. In the meantime, we'll hopefully be back in autumn. We should still be posting on social media. So if you want to follow us, it's at OU Music Pod on Twitter, at Over Underrated Music Pod on Instagram. Or if you really want to talk to us, you can email us on overunderratedmusicpod at gmail.com. Have a lovely summer, stay safe, and see you on the other side. Here, here, here.